Welcome to Planter Stories, a special series of the Always Forward podcast. Each episode features a church planter who's just like you, out in the field, figuring it out, and on mission for God. We hope this conversation informs you, inspires you, and encourages you with what God is doing through those planting gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches throughout North America and beyond. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Always Forward podcast. We're doing a series of podcasts right now called Planter Stories, in which candidates for church planning or candidates for leadership development in a diocese interview one of their church planters. And that's what we get to do today. Uh, my name is Jeff Bailey. I'm the canon for leadership development here in the Diocese of Christ Our Hope. And I get to spend some time here with my friend Claude Acho, who is planting Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville, Virginia. Claude, it's great to have you here today. Jeff, it's great to be with you, man. Looking forward to this conversation. So let's just dive in in terms of how you got to this point planting the church in Charlottesville. I remember meeting you, at least in person, um, it was right before COVID hit. I think it was January 2020. And we showed up together at a regional retreat for our diocese. And you would come over from Memphis. And you were just kind of like checking out this whole Anglican world, right? And figuring out like what your journey was. But you felt this kind of pull towards that. So I'm, I'm curious to ask, even before talking about the church plan itself, which kind of came further down the road, you kind of had to navigate your own journey into Anglicanism. What was that like for you? What was happening for you at that time? You're totally right. The timeline is uh, is on point. Yeah, I think that was January 2020. Um, and yes, that was sort of a, a little bit of a culmination of a few things that have been happening for me the a couple of years prior um you know i was like like many have over um over a long period of time um you know i, I just I, I had felt some limits in uh the tradition that i was a part of kind of coming particularly at that time out of a non-denominational tradition uh and so there was so much that i loved and so much that i resonated with and yet i felt um, some some gaps um, personally, really not not so much in uh, necessarily within the church, but in my own heart, in my own life, I needed more order, more structure, uh, more help for my spiritual life, and I also had the sense that you know I want to continue in ministry for a long time. I probably need a denominational home and structure and help around that to help me. And so uh, because I was in a non-denominational church, that sort of opened the door like, okay, what what could that be? At the same time, I had stumbled into using the prayer book and was really helped and sort of invigorated through that. Uh, the church calendar was becoming helpful in my own discipleship and formation at home as, as part of my family. So those two things put Anglicanism on my radar and, and you know, the rest is kind of history. I know that would be a, a really good longer conversation, but those were a couple pieces that were happening for me. Uh, and so it felt like I, I just, I, I needed, I needed those pieces for myself personally to kind of keep going for the long haul, hopefully Lord willing in ministry. Yeah. And as you were thinking about where do I land um, and coming to the diocese, um, you were having lots of conversations with people. You were talking to Bishop Steve and others. What was it that sort of made you feel like um, yeah, this is a place where I can put down some roots and feel like this is going to be the right place for me. Yeah, I think um, what made it feel like the right place for me was, you know, 
just the the heart and care that I felt in in talking with everyone, you know. So I, I think I just felt kind of pastored and shepherded really well and cared for no matter what, where I was going to end up. So that was really huge. Just felt loved and, and cared for. Um, so that was fundamental. And then on top of that, practically, I loved the heart for church planting. Um, I loved hearing uh, the, you know, how much resources, time, energy goes toward, you know, starting new gospel work in in important and, and sometimes forgotten places. Uh, so I love that there was kind of a city emphasis, but also kind of just an everywhere emphasis. So that was really compelling to me and something that felt like, you know, I, I really want to be a part of that. And then what was cool is, you know, while I was doing that exploration, I was listening to this podcast, you know, um, some of the early episodes, like really helped by what Always Ford was putting out. And so, so it's, it's really neat for me to be on this now full circle, probably, you know, three, three, three and a half years later, um, and, and just sort of kind of being in the spot or just really grateful for the Lord's yeah. provision in hand. Yeah. So interestingly, you have a background in church planting. Um, not everybody has that, or sometimes good people have that. They're like, I'm never doing that again. But in your case, <laughs> you've got some ministry background that you're bringing with you into this. Tell us a little bit about your own kind of ministry journey into this space. You started off doing, uh, I think your first ministry role was um, church planting in Boston. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had, um, you know, in Bellingham, I went to college in Bellingham, Washington, and um, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, we were a part of a, a really wonderful church plant there. And so part of like the first church that I chose to really be a part of, kind of coming of age um, in college, um, well, really like the second, uh, but it was a church plant, you know, so I got to see this church, you know, from, you know, 60 people and move miraculously to like 250. And so church planting was very normal, like that sort of environment felt normal to me. Uh, and so I, I ended up uh, after graduate school, stayed on there, worked for a few years uh, at the church, and then we were sent out and we planted in Boston. Uh, and so uh, so I had that church planting experience and, and that was really good, but also really hard because, you know, I was, um, you know, I think well prepared, but also like, you know, really early in my kind of uh, ministry career and also just young, period. Uh, and so I was... How, how old were you when you planted the church in Boston? Uh, I, maybe 26, I think, 25, 26. Um, so just really just like, I mean, just was out there, you know, and what was really helpful for me was how a lot of churches around uh, around us in the city, you know, came alongside and supported, even though um, even though we were new. So there was a lot of camaraderie and partnership among churches in the city, uh, in 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 neighborhoods there. So, so that was really wonderful. But at the same time, you know, it was hard city, and I had a you know I was l- really learning a lot as I as I went, um, and so. So yeah, so I think, you know, out of that, a lot of people are like, I never want to plant again, right? Because it's so hard to do it just <laughs> one time. But for me, I, I thought, you know, maybe I would do this again because I learned a lot, you know, and I've grown and I've and I've changed and I've developed and and, and hopefully have matured as well. So I would do this again if it was the right environment and situation. Our Boston plant was a little bit more of a parachute. We moved with about six friends who who were amazing. Um and so but we we really kind of just just dropped in, uh, you know, on the city and said, here we are. And that's just a hard way to get things going. And so I thought if I ever plan again, you know, maybe there's a different strategy, a different way to do that. And and if, if that came, uh, if that came up, I, I might be interested. And, uh, and Kelsey, my wife would said, we'll only do it if it's a different way. Uh, so, so we're, we're grateful that we have another chance to, to do that in a new way. And also grateful the church in Boston is still going and, and, and still thriving and doing well. But yeah, we thought, okay, if we ever do this again, maybe there's a different sort of pathway to get started. Yeah. What was the process for you then deciding on 
Charlottesville. So Charlottesville is such a interesting place contextually. Um, of course, you'd almost shown up there in another with a different hat on, right? You had been accepted to do a PhD in, was it English literature at UVA um, at one point in the past? Yes. Yeah. I had a point, um, you know, so we, we did planting in Boston and then um, and then we went to Memphis and I worked at a large multi-ethnic church there. Uh, in between the Boston and Memphis was sort of a vocational discernment for me. It was like, okay, you know, I, do I want to stay in pastoral ministry? And so I had thought maybe I'd, I'd go go back into studies at UVA and then, um, but Kelsey wisely advised me and said, that's, that's really not going to be good for us. That's really not what you should be doing. And that was really, really wise. So, so yeah, so there was another, yeah. So a little bit of, again, full circle coming to Charlottesville, I I would say, you know, what drew us to Charlottesville was really, um, the opportunity. So I think our Boston church plant, um, again, we kind of, we, we were supported, but it really was a parachute in terms of kind of its strategy. Um, and, and sometimes that is needed and sometimes that's really important. Uh, it's also, it, it comes with its set of challenges. It's not, it's really not for everybody. And so, uh, we wanted to look for something that was a different starting point for engaging church planting. We wanted to join into something that God was sort of already doing in a way. And so when we, you know, conversation with the diocese was, hey, we 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 have interest here. There there's a lot of prayer and preparation that's gone into this and there's an interest group. And so I was really uh really drawn to that model of planting where uh, it's sort of seeded with prayer um and sort of seeded with people on the ground who are saying, "Hey, we'd like to call someone to come and to lead what's beginning to sort of percolate locally. So that was a big draw for us. And then on top of that, um, the city itself, you know, its need for um, its need for gospel work that could draw together uh, different types of people, um, the hurt and the pain in Charlottesville historically, um, in, in sort of stretching back uh, decades and centuries, but also stretching back, you know, in a, just a number of years with 2017. So, so I think Charlottesville as a city was a draw to us, especially coming from a place like Memphis, which also has uh, a, his, historic challenges around race and, and justice. Um, and, and care for for all for all image bearers, and so it felt like we could sort of wrap our heads around Charlottesville a little bit. It had the intellectual factor, obviously, with University of Virginia UVA, which reminded us of Boston. Um, they talk about Charlottesville as a place where the North meets the South, so it felt like Boston and Memphis sort of smashed together in some ways. So we can kind of wrap our heads around it. Now that we've gotten here, we've realized, okay, this is a this is a more complicated, quirky, and wonderful place than we could have imagined. But but we're learning. So that was sort of the draw, the the method and the supported way of planting, and then. The place and the need itself. Yeah. Yeah. What struck you now that you've been on the ground there for a little while, what has struck you about the context of Charlottesville? As you mentioned, it's this weird matchup on on, on the one hand, you've got, it's an intellectual center, right? The University of Virginia, one of our great universities. Um, And also, you know, as recently as 2017, the Unite the Right rally and all of the, you know, that was not that long ago. What, what, what kinds of things has struck you in terms of the, the needs, the opportunities, the hunger, of people there in Charlottesville. I think what struck me about the city is that it's it's a small place, um, you know, 50,000, you know, maybe 50,000 kind of in the city proper, obviously larger if you extend the radius a little bit out to the county. But it's a small place in terms of population and sort of geography, but has a outsized influence, outsized culture, outsized diversity compared relative to its size. But it's also small and it's kind of a city within city. So there's, I would get lost in the city and 
take these turns and kind of discover neighborhoods. I was like, wow, this is not what I expected from Charlottesville. This is a little bit more, uh, it feels more impoverished. It feels more um, compact, more sort of run down, more forgotten, more neglected. Obviously, good advice for for planters is to, you know, um, try to walk every every street in your city or your neighborhood, drive around, get lost, you know, have, have uh, pastors that have been there for a long time, take you on tours, that sort of thing. So I did some of that. And then some of that I did just kind of driving around. So I was really struck. It truly is a city, um, uh, a city of cities, despite being so small, you would expect that obviously of a place like Boston or New York. Um, but it really, Charlottesville really is, it has these pockets that people forget, um, and that are neglected. That was surprising to me. Um, I think it's a city of achievers in a lot of ways. And so the shadow side of that is that there's deep imposter syndrome, deep insecurity, a deep sense of uh, justification by by accolades or by reputation um, and by uh, sort of achievements. And so people really do need to hear um, some of the um, kind of legal aspects of the gospel of, of sort of that the justification uh, of our standing is is set in Christ. So that's a real need. And, you know, it's easy to think that people move on from that because they're, they're so accomplished. It's easy to be wowed by people here in some senses, but you realize, okay, no, the, these are, these are human beings that, that deal with these fundamental things, these shared uh, pains and realities. So that's been interesting. Um, I think there's also a fear of, um, a fear of being wrong. People are afraid to look dumb or to have the wrong answer or to, you know, be on the wrong side of history. However, we might determine history having a side. There's a lot of fear uh, there. And so people are in, in, in some, in some senses kind of walking on eggshells um, and, and just always, you know, hoping to attach to the right sort of thing and to, to prove themselves competent and knowledgeable and and, and worthy in a sense. So it's been interesting uh, to, to, to sort of unearth that and to learn that. And, um, you know, I'm in process, been here 18 months. I'm still, there's still a lot that I'm, I'm learning. Yeah. It'll, it'll take me some time, but those, I think I've, I've picked up and mostly have picked up by hearing that uh, from others. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, you mentioned your first church plant in Boston being a parachute plant, this being a different one where people had been praying for, hoping for an Anglican church plant in the city. Um, and you had people on the ground who had history and equity and relationships that you were able to connect with. How, comparing your past experiences, how big of a difference did that make? What it, what, it, what has it done for you as a planter being able to have that ground prepared somewhat that you're able to come into versus just showing up brand new? It's a different type of it's a different type of work because when you when you show up sort of brand new with few connections, you you're really doing a lot of the digging and the cultivating. Um, and I think by contrast, what we've experienced in Charlottesville is we've entered into, you know, uh, uh, a bit of a harvest that has been tilled and uh, there's been a lot of work that's happened before we 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 even ar- arrived and so we're really sort of uh to switch metaphors kind of riding the wave of uh prayers relationships connections that are just different so one example um you know recently here uh here in Charlottesville somebody had e- had connected me from um connected me with one of their friends uh and said hey this friend is interested in learning about uh learning about Jesus would you meet with them um and that was i mean uh, it's the sort of text that you get that just makes your day right uh 
and that that came just from from cultivation and relationship that somebody else had done, but they're connected to our work because there was sort of on the ground prayer relationships pre-existing uh, to to our arrival. So we stepped into that. Um, in contrast, I can think to you know being in Boston. Um, you know, the first time that I got to do that, it felt like it was you know it was a few years in. It was a few years in of building connections, getting to know people, um, trying to uh, see and sense where has God been at work and how can we uh, how can we jump into that. Um, but it was a little it was harder. It was just slower. And I think here in Charlottesville, where we we've benefited from what many have done uh, before us, both in all the churches, but also the people that were part of our launch team, their lives, their faithfulness, their prayers, their witness. Um, we, we've come in and we've we've stepped into the momentum of that. Yeah. Talk about the current state of play, where are things at right now, and also a little bit about um, your vision, the vision for the church, what you hope to um, see happen here, what you hope God does with Church of the Resurrection in Charlottesville. Yeah, so our hope for Church of the Resurrection is um, we, we've spent a lot of time talking about being a, a, a gospel community rooted in the hope of the resurrection. And and that means for us, I think, being marked by three things. We've talked about being marked by celebration, which is the joy of knowing that God has acted in Jesus Christ, is acting in Jesus Christ, and will act in Jesus Christ. Uh, so the foundation of who we want to be as a church is the joy that comes from knowing what God has done through Jesus, um, past, present, and future. And so that's really the basis of who we are as a church. Our, the basis is actually not the mission. The basis is actually not reaching people. The basis is God has already acted. And now, because God has acted in the joy and the life that we share with him, now we can go out in mission. Now we can go out and um, and proclaim and display. So we talk a lot about being rooted in what God has done and is doing through Jesus. So we talk a lot about celebration and just being joyful people to show the joy and the beauty of of the faith. Um, and so we talk about being gospel community marked by celebration, and and then out of that being marked by invitation that real that come and see dynamic that Jesus has with uh, with the disciples, but with all people. So how can we live a life? rooted in the celebration of the gospel that produces a dynamic to our community and our relationships that is compelling and beautiful, which then draws people to, to, to come and see uh, the beauty, truth, and goodness of the faith. And then thirdly, we talk a lot about formation, uh, these three pillars, celebration, invitation, and formation. Uh, we want to see the life of Christ formed in us, um, and we want to see um, uh, the life of Jesus uh, really manifested in us, where disciples of Jesus um, follow Jesus, they, uh, they, they are with Jesus, and they, they do the things that Jesus did, right? We're transformed into his image. So those are the three things that we really want to be uh, shaped by and marked by. And I think as we do that, the way that the gospel takes root in Charlottesville to be sort of believable means that it will connect people who are otherwise not connected. So there will be an element of um, of diversity in the life of the church, which is um, cultural, which is racial, and which is um, socioeconomic. And so that's sort of our, our vision is that by being rooted in the hope of the resurrection and those pillars of celebration, invitation, and formation, over time, the Holy Spirit will bless that work and it will take fruit in Charlottesville in such a way that people point and say, oh, th this must be a bit of a foretaste of this kingdom of God that we've heard that we've heard Christians talk about because in this church, there are things happening in ways that have not happened uh, in our city outside of 
what what uh, God can do. So that's kind of our our hope. Um, the way that's taking shape for us is we've been meeting publicly since October. Kind of, um, we talk about uh, we, we've we've sort of met over the last uh, few months in sort of a messianic, uh, secret fashion, like Gospel of Mark. Like we haven't uh, launched publicly, uh, but the church has grown, which is which has been incredible. Uh, and then we've we've launched publicly during during Easter season. We're we're just about to move from a, um, a down the street from a uh, kind of a, a a wedding venue kind of party. Um, uh, facility which is kind of bougie and nice in the in the heart of the city to to an elementary school just uh less than half a mile up the street to give us more room for growth so we're excited about that so we're still really in that early stage but people are starting to kind of know that we're here in the city we're beginning to do some work with the the local jail and some justice and mercy ministry as well so so it's been a good first uh first 18 months for us started in the house and now we're we're beginning this sort of launch season so we've been really encouraged that's great that's great. You mentioned the diversity piece in that invitational side of things for the vision. Um, I know uh, the church that you were at previously did a lot in a kind of multicultural um, space that was an intentional part of things. How does the vision for a diverse and multicultural church fit in um, with uh, with your story, with your experience, with what you've seen, and with what you think um, is needed in Charlottesville? Yeah, it's um it is it's really critical here. I think it's again a way of demonstrating um that the gospel is non-ignorable, that the gospel is true, that um that the gospel really does unite us to to God and to one another. So it's really foundational. Um it's foundational in a way that it's not but it's foundational in a way that Christ is central and it is the outflow rather than what we see culturally is um diversity becomes central. Um, and then all sorts of strange things happen. This can also happen in our churches uh, as well, out of the best intentions. And so I'm I'm a, I'm careful and we're wary about that. Charlottesville has seen a lot of uh, diversity talk um, in its churches, I think historically as well, and not much has come out of it. So I think there it, it's a strange thing. It needs to be important because it flows out of the truth of the kingdom. But if it becomes the main thing then it actually makes it really strange for any ethnic minorities that are a part of the church because then they feel odd, they feel singled out. Um, all, all sorts of kind of wonky things can happen. So I've tried to, I'm trying to, I've tried to figure out how to how to be precise and careful um, about how we teach this, how we go about this. There's also sort of the mistake of just trying to platform diverse leaders and put people up front, but they actually have real no kind of equity or ownership over the church or the ministry. They're just sort of there to attract others. Um, so we, 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 we've tried to think carefully about this and it'll be a process for us. Um, really, I think what happens is where, where the lives of the people of the parish engage where they engage, that's those are the relationships that are going to be sort of the streams that bring people into the life of the church. So I think there's sort of a, a, a need first to help people live lives where they are engaging with people who are different than them in in real ways, right? These are the real rhythms and patterns of our lives. So you before you can kind of see diversity happen in the life of the church, diversity and engagement across different lines has to happen in the lives of the people who make up the church. And uh, that, that can be a real challenge for, for folks, but that's one of the steps that people have to, uh, that a church has to step into. Um, I think the other piece that you pray for is early adopters. If a church wants to, in our church in Boston, we, we started with um, 
our family was, was only family with kids. And, you know, my, my kids were like, is it always going to be like this? And I've said, you know, maybe, <laughs> but I hope not. Uh, but it took that first family to say, hey, we believe in what's happening here. And even though we want a robust kids ministry, it's just your kids and our kids, but we believe in this and we're going to, we're going to step in and we're going to help build this. Not everybody is an early adopter, but you, you pray for, and you seek out those who are, you cast a vision uh, on ways that they can do that and still be cared for in those particular areas of importance to them. So that's what we've tried to do. And so we, we've seen some traction with that. Um, and now we just, we pray that the Lord will bring uh, what he desires to bring out of that. So it's a level, I think, in, in a roundabout way of saying there's a sort of organic element and then there's this an inten- intentional element as well. But you try to do both of those without getting into so- some of the gimmicks and the traps that I think churches can fall into at times, even with, with some of the best intentions. You had an um, interesting COVID project. You were more productive than many of us were during COVID in that you wrote a book called Reading Black Books. What was what did you learn from that process that is applicable to ministry or to the kinds of things that you're doing right now or that you envision for the church? That's a great question. Um, I think what I what I did in that book project, I think that is applicable to some of the work of the church. Um, mm, I think it's just an integration. Um, you know, help, like, it's what we try to do in ministry. We try to help people see the world differently. And that's what I was trying to do in that book was saying, hey, the stories that we, that we either know of African-American literature or want to know of African-American literature, if we engage with these stories in a particular way, they will help us see the world in a different way and in a way that is more in line with the kingdom, uh, with the kingdom of God. And so I think I was trying to do some translation uh, of kind of explaining the literature, reading it theologically, and 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 applying it to people's lives to help uh, to help us grow and live righteousness. So a lot of translation work, a lot of sort of um, social imagination work, how we see relate to others. And so I think, yeah, I mean that that is a big part of what we try to do in, in church planning. We ultimately we're ultimately trying to get people to see the world differently, to see the world as it truly is, to see um, to see that hey, life is not just um, accolades, achievements. Um, Life is not just all that we see. There, there's a real kingdom that is breaking in here, and we can be a part of this now. We can enter in through through Christ, and so I guess that's a that's a pretty um, philosophical answer. <laughs> but but I think that's what comes to mind. No one's asked me that. That's a great question. I, I think it's sort of how how we see the world, and that's fundamentally what we're doing in in ministry is trying to help people see the world rightly through the lens of the kingdom, and then to live in light of that. It's great. Claude, we're so excited about Church of the Resurrection and all that's happening there. Uh, we're praying for it, and uh, it's really encouraging and motivating just to hear you talking about it here today um, on this episode. So thank you for taking the time to uh, tell your story and tell the story of what's happening, and we're excited to track this and see what continues to happen and what God continues to do here in the days ahead. Appreciate that, Jeff. I want to just, yeah, publicly thank you for all your support in this journey for us. You've been uh, such a, a great voice and, and friend and encourager. And then also want to give a shout out to Always Forward, the podcast. Uh, appreciate what what everyone on the team is doing. And it's a huge encouragement and resource to so many. So really grateful to be a part of this. Super. Thanks, Claude. Good to be with you. Thanks. Appreciate it.
You're listening to the podcast of Always Forward, the church planting initiative of the Anglican Church in North America, helping plant gospel-centered, sacramental, missional churches. For more information and resources, please visit always-forward.com.